Hi, I'm Ryan Jennings, and this is a Kiwi Original. Today on the show, I'm joined by James Carter from BJ Carter, a builder and insulation company based out of Invercargill. The reason we are down there for the chat is BJ Carter does more than just build houses and we know how much New Zealand needs that right now. They also do a product which is called Enviro Wool and it's made from 100% New Zealand sheep's wool. And it's important, being a natural insulator, there are a whole lot of advantages that a man-made synthetic product doesn't contain. So James and I, we speak about this. We also talk about some of the changes in uh, what's happening with building, particularly the residential side of things, having to get compliant with the Residential Tenancy Act with underfloor and ceiling insulation. And we also talk about the importance of the R rating. What should you insulate your own home to? It's a really interesting chat. And in the context of the current market, if you're in the property market, either as an investor, a renter, or a potential first home buyer, this is worth a listen. We've got clients that their staff say to us, their staff say they can't believe what feels so different about this house. And it's because of the wall, Mm. because the wall breathes, Mm. like it absorbs moisture, up to 30% of its own weight, then it releases moisture again. Yeah, and all these, and I I know the building inspectors used to say it to us, and and I just thought they were trying to suck up to you. No, seriously. You know, I just thought, oh, oh, you know, just because we're the only ones that do it. But once you start hearing clients say it and their staff say it to them, why why do these houses feel different? You know, and just because of the wall, it's... There's a sense, it's like when you're... um, that when you're in an apartment block or when you're in an office with HVAC and aircon with recycled air versus fresh air, or whether you're in a home that breathes because it's a 100-year-old villa and it's got some creaky windows, they all feel different. And I absolutely believe that if you've got natural products in any part of the home Mm -hmm. versus artificial synthetic, it'll be better for us as natural humans. Whether it's a breathing thing, there's some tactile, we pick up on it somehow. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's certainly, I, I can agree with you there. We had an instance where we we uh, had a house fire in a house that were just insulated. Now, uh, the fire started in, in the uh, kitchen, went up through the uh, ventilation system, burnt the whole roof off the building. Uh, the guy had gone to do something, it was on crate day, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, the, the fire brigade come there, and you could walk through that house, and if you didn't smell it, you wouldn't have even known there's a fire in that house. And you got up into the ceiling, and where the main heat of this fire was, the wall had probably singed about a centimetre. Down at the other end of the house, it had just just slightly, not quite blackened, it was sort of like brown, scorched looking. But yet it had burnt all the timber, clean out of that roof space, it hadn't penetrated through to the ceiling joists. Now, the fire brigade said if it had been any other product that we used for insulation, it would have melted, ripped through the ceiling, the whole house would have been gone. But they they couldn't endorse that because they're not allowed to. All, all he could say to me is, I know what I'd be using if if I was re-insulating my house now. And it was incredible. I've got photographs on there where 
you know, with intense heat, the roost buckled off it, everything, but uh, because the wool is a, a natural fire retardant. You never think of it in reverse, though, do you? You think that insulation is supposed to keep the house warm. Um, you don't think about it as a barrier the other way around from a, a fire on the oh, extreme heat yeah. on the outside coming in. Uh, and what would have happened if, say, just for example, you used a fiberglass, the fiberglass under heat mounts, drips through the ceiling, and then you get a fire. Whereas the wall doesn't, it chars, and it smothers the fire. And so that's not the, the main reason people buy Enviro wool, though, right? The, the main no, reason. No, the, the main reason people buy Enviro wool, I think, is it's a New Zealand made product. It's clean, it's green, uh, and it's a beautiful product to, to work with. Like, you wouldn't. You wouldn't lie uh, a baby in some other insulation products out there, would you? But you'd, you'd happily lay a baby in wool, you know, because it's, uh, and, you know, and when you get wool into your, when you take, take it in through your mouth, so, you know, it's protein that gets absorbed by the body, whereas other products out there don't, you know, we, we, we know what fibres that are doing to us now, you know, getting stuck in their body and lungs and that. I think Kiwis are more aware of that now too. And, you know, looking behind you here, we've got plenty of, of wool bales ready to go for your insulation. What, what got you into manufacturing insulation as, as part of your building and construction business? Well, I suppose I was just, when we were insulating houses in that, and when we were doing our building side, on a hot day, you can see all this glass fibre in the air and it just sparkles like glitter. And sort of thought, yeah, this can't be too good for, for my staff. And really, it, it is a staff thing because I, I refuse to use any other insulation. Uh, so that really got me thinking about wool. And then we had, I had an opportunity to, to use a, to, to play around with another manufacturer's product. And, uh, and it worked well and it was simple to use. And it was a feel good, the farmers liked it, the, the young generation coming up. Like, like the sound of using wool, and look, it's a resource that we grow here in New Zealand, and you know we don't use enough of it in different products. So it was initially it was actually the health and safety of your builders and tradespeople. Yeah, that's that, what originally started getting me in, into thinking. You know, why are we uh, why are we not using wool or something? Because it got fantastic insulation values. You know, it's a hollow fibre, so it naturally traps air in it. They've been using it for a couple of thousand years. You know, you've still got wool mats and that, like in in, uh, in Egypt, and they were using the pyramids that are still as good, good as the day they went in there. So that, that really what sort of set us off. And then we're using a blanket product that's made here in New Zealand as well. And then I thought, well, why don't we try and use 100% wool? And what were some of the the, uh, the challenges back then? Because this was this was before it became almost fashionable. This is decades ago, yes. not years ago, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. Uh, what were some of the challenges? I suppose just price-driven at the start was hard going because wool was at a premium and competing against other products out there. Uh, but I suppose we never really, in our own builds, never gave the, the client the choice. We just said this is what we're using and uh, and everybody was pleased to go with it, do you know what I mean? And knowing that they're actually 
helping the farmer out or the easiest ones to sell are, are the kids that live in town, the mum and dad are farmers. Yeah. They want to help mum and dad. Sometimes they're hardest to convince uh, the old farmers that'll say, look, we've lived in this house now for 40 years, I'm going to retire in 10 years, why would I want to insulate? I'd rather spend that money on a new boat. <laughs> but I think there is a, a big shift now on, uh, on using sustainable products. Now talk me through what the, the R value process is, uh, because there's different minimum specs yes. around New Zealand, isn't there? Yeah, there is different. We generally, even for a top-up, put in a minimum of R3.6, which roughly equivalents to about two kilos per square metre of, 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 of a blown wall. Uh, <coughs> right, you just got me tongue-twisted there. At 3.6, that's a lot. Like in, um, I had a, a renovation in Napier, and I think the minimum was 2.6, and I decided to go at the 3.6 because that was the minimum for Invercargill Southland area. Yes. I thought if yeah. it's good enough for down south, it's going to yeah. be good enough for a, a Hawke's Bay winter. And it, it felt amazing through through those winter months. Yes. Um, and I guess while you're going to do it once, you might as well put, yeah. there's no there's not a big incremental cost. Now, the higher you can get your insulation value, you know, the better off you are. You know, like insulation's all about like having a chili bun. And uh, at the moment, with our wool product, we're trying to do the ceiling, which is the lid of the chili bin. For I know for my own experience, we insulated, re-insulated my house, uh, and we've got about an R7.2 in the ceiling now. Well, in the mornings, our house was cooler in, in the winter and couldn't work out why. And what was happening, it was holding an, our thermostats and our underfloor heating. The house wasn't cooling down enough for the underfloor heating to kick in in the morning. So it was holding another two and a half degrees more over the night by just doubling that insulation. And if I hadn't have done it myself, like you, you read all this, you hear all this stuff, but until you actually experience it, so we actually had to change your thermostats around to, to kick the heating in, you know, for a couple of hours first thing in the morning when we got up. So, and uh, yeah, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have just realised how, how how important it is to try and where you can get as much insulation in in your ceiling as you can. So, is there no then maximum? Even though there's a you know three point six is your minimum, if you can go further. If think you can about go it. further, the bit you you know obviously your payback in the future for your energy costs and that is going to be a lot less. The downside about it. Anything to do with construction in New Zealand is we've got a building code that everybody builds to, which is the minimum of the building code. It's not a recommended code. It's the bare minimum. So when people out there are price-driven on on uh, insulating their, their houses in that, it's generally from, a, say, a group house and store that's building multiple homes is only going to put the minimum in there. You know... A lot of the houses, most of the homes in New Zealand are getting built on the exterior walls with, with 100mm timber framing. Now, why wouldn't you use 6-inch framing, which uh, increases your insulation from a, an R2.6 in the walls to an R3.2? And they're saying now the payback for that increase is between three and a half and four years. But, you know, people aren't told this at the start, and people are just 
price driven and sometimes the consumer is not getting all the facts and uh, because we look we are we have become price driven on things but you know if you spend a little bit more on a especially insulation I suppose the downside of insulation, you don't see what you're getting for. And so that, so it's not like a new kitchen or a, a new fridge. No. But you can feel the difference. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, a lot of places will go to measure up or assess for insulation and they're going to put a new heat pump in it or a new fire. Realistically, they've got enough energy in that house to, to heat the house. It's just that the house isn't insulated. So all they're doing is heating the streets. Mm. You know, because you're losing 30 to 35% of your heat out through your ceiling. You know, you're losing 30% of, of your heat out through your walls. You're losing 15% out through your windows. And you're losing 5 to 10% max through your floors. So what has this new code meant where um, if you own a property that's for rent, there you have to insulate the house, particularly yes. the ceilings and the underfloor. Yes, so I think why the underfloor was brought in, because it could be done by anybody, and it was easy to manage. Like, there's only a couple of companies that can insulate the outside walls without having to rip all the linings off. So your average home to rip the linings off a wall and, and, and insulate is probably over 100,000 the time you decorate and redo it again. Whereas under the floor is real e Easy and probably your best insulation under the, under the floor is polythene on the ground just to stop that that moisture rising because the warmer your, your house gets, the more heat it and moisture it sucks up through the ground. Uh, so I suppose it, it was it was just easy for the pairs to be to manage that. And if you own your own house, should you look at then the doing the walls as well, if the walls are actually where more of that heat loss happens than yes. the underfloor? Yes, definitely. So number one is always your ceiling. Always make sure your ceiling is well and truly insulated. Secondly, followed by your walls of your house. And there's products out there like Insulmax that, that you can do existing homes with. Followed by your your windows. Now, a lot, a lot of people are putting a flat stick put in double glazed aluminium windows, but if you actually do the numbers, a single glazed wooden window has got the same insulation value as a double glazed. Because the timber doesn't transfer the heat. window, yes. When we get into low E and XL glasses and that, that that's a whole different ball game again. But so you're far better off going to a thermal broken aluminium or wooden windows are becoming quite trendy again, or PVC windows. But the public have been led to believe that you need to change your windows to make your house warm, when in initial fact, you're only losing 10 to 15% heat loss out through your windows, and thermal drapes are equivalent to double glazing. Uh, so, but the manufacturers now will tell you, yes, that is right, you know. That is the easy way to, to uh, heat proof your home, is just Pull your curtains at 4 p.m. Yes. And have good thermal drapes yeah. that are lined. And we used to have palmets in houses, and palmets were the best thing for insulation. Uh, uh, because like underfloor insulation is really easy to sell because people feel a draft coming out through the floor, which it's not a draft coming out through the floor at all, it's convectional heat. So you heat your house, heat rises, hits your ceiling, 
The heat finds the coldest part of the room, which is the outside walls, if they're uninsulated. As the air gets uh, cools down, it gets heavier, and it falls down the, to the floor. Then it's drawn back to the heat source, and it's just conventional heat. And that's the draft people feel coming up through the floor. So if you put your feet up on a, on a stool, you won't feel that. So it's, it's not really the heat loss through the floor at all. It's actually the, because the walls aren't insulated. But, so underfloor insulation <laughs> is easy to sell, but it's probably, it's, uh, hey, it, it is beneficial, there's no doubt about that. But it's part of the overall start with the ceiling. Yep. And go so, beyond the R values of the minimum spec. Yeah. So, you know, it's like having a bucket of water with, with 10 holes in it. You do your, you do your ceiling insulation, you fill up, say, three holes. You do your underfloor, you fill up another two. You know, you, you've still got five holes left and it's still leaking out through the walls. And as I said, all you're doing is heating the street. New Zealand-made Kiwi trademark is relied upon by over 1,500 New Zealand businesses to gain a market origin advantage in the markets they operate, both domestically and internationally. Check to see if the good service or software that you make is eligible at buynz.org.nz. So over the the time that you've had EnviroWool, you know, based in Invercargill here, how many houses do you think you've done the insulation for we've using done, it? We've probably done in excess of two or 3,000 houses, which I suppose is, is, which is a, a good portion for us, do you know what I mean? We're not sort of going out there to break any records. And, and, uh, but here, yeah, we've always had a good supply of houses to insulate. And uh, we haven't been a part of the healthy homes, so we've had to find our own jobs. That's the government package where they give you a, a rebate yes. for putting in insulation. Yes. So we've always been competitive against them, even though that you're getting the rebate. So we've, we've never used the rebate or tried to apply for the rebate. And remember, wool is like a premium product, so it's, it's breathable. It's fire resistant and it's a natural product. So uh, it's very hard to compete against other products out there that don't have any of those values amongst them. So I suppose you could say wool was the Rolls Royce of insulation. What does it mean for the, the farmers that you're, you're buying the, the wool from? Yeah, well, I think that it, it's great for them. Like they're, they're trying to find other markets to... to uh, use your material in, and there is a focus coming in, back more back into wool again. I can I can see you know we're getting more garments made out of wool now. There's been a big trend back to wool and carpets again. Uh, but I suppose it's once again it's all consumer driven. You know the carpet manufacture, manufacturers manufacturers were getting bigger kickbacks by using synthetic, so that's why that was pushed in. Unfortunately, a lot of our things in our building industry is all on who scratches each uh, someone's back the best, do you know what I mean, and what, what rebates we can get. Not necessarily the best products out there, but... Yeah, there is always within um, any ecosystem of, of trades, 
you want to grow your base for your, your product or for your services. And I think sometimes the, that shift comes from the consumer where the consumer says, actually, I want something different to that. But it requires you to know, well, what are the options? You know, why, why use wool when there's a synthetic version that's available with this healthy home rebates? Why is it the same price? Um, yes. How can you afford to have that level of, there must be something less in it. Um, when that's not the case, they're just very different business models. Yes. Yeah, and if, if you went around any of the hardware stores in Invercargill, I, you'd be hard pushed to find one bale of woolen bats. There'd be plenty of polyester and, and fiberglass, but to find a woolen product there, they're not there because one, the architects they aren't specifying them, so they, they, uh, they don't know about the products. And really, a lot of new housing in that is uh, you know, the specifications that are made before the build starts. And really, once it's gone through council, it's everybody's very reluctant to change products. What are the, the downsides of wool? Because one of the things I always worried was like, could it get blown about in like a Wellington windy gale? Yes. Could it start moving around the ceiling cavity in a way that you know a cut? Um, fibre blown piece wouldn't. Yeah, no, wool won't blow around. Wool's got to actually, if you look at a piece of wool under a microscope, it's got like little spurs on it that inter interlock it. So it actually holds onto itself and, uh, and um, na naturally won't allow itself to, to be blown around. Yes, so that, that, that holds it all together and uh, keeps it in a uniform height to uh, maximise insulation. So you've been with the Buy New Zealand May campaign for I think it's roughly on five years now with the EnviroWall product. Yes. That's actually not your main business, isn't it? As, as BJ no. Carter's, you're, you're one of the, the builders of Invercargill. Yes, yeah, our core business is construction. And I suppose we're in a, in a great position that we've, we've been around for 60 years now. And we have got a reputation great reputation of, uh, in the building industry in, in Southland and in, in Otago, so that's always helped us. And I suppose we've always had a point of difference, what, that's why we have used wool, because we've got clients that actually want something a bit different, you know what I mean? They're perhaps not as price-driven as, as uh, a lot of other people out there. What does it take for, um, you know, we, were, we were talking about this earlier with, being in business for that long, what does it take in terms of building that, that team culture? Because it's a hard trade, right? It's, it's something that you've got to use your physical body for, yeah. and our bodies don't last forever. How, how do you attract people to the industry? And Yeah, I, I suppose the easiest way for us to attract staff is probably we've got a very good reputation. Uh, we get a lot of very nice projects to build high-end, but we still do build mailboxes and repair, repair windows. But I suppose we've, we've always grown our own staff, so we've always taken on apprentices. So the apprentices uh, used to go to Polytech and come to us. Now the schools have introduced them to us through Gateway. So the kids work for us for 12 months, and then some of them decide at the end of the 12 months, hey, building's not for me at all. Which is, so it's a great opportunity for them to, to try something. 
and then they uh, then they come along work, uh, start working it if they wish to take it. And I suppose we've got a, a few older staff that the young ones look up to, and I will say that the older staff love working with the young kids mm. and teaching them new skills. Got in next door to which is his Jordan, he just got young Thomas, which is a second year apprentice. So Thomas will spend three months and they're just learning how to make joinery, which which a lot of most building firms won't offer that. Or they, or they can't, so. Uh, <coughs> but I think just building a good team relationship and looking after your staff and respecting them and listening to them. And I do like to work along beside them just every so often to show them that I can still get out there and do it. And... Uh, I think the biggest thing is just to treat treat your staff the way that you want to be treated. Mm. You know, and and everybody's different. We all learn at different speeds, and uh, yeah. So I think just got just got <coughs> excuse me, uh, respect each individual person, and uh, respect their needs, which it has, which it certainly is changing. Uh, yeah, but no, I, we've. Always enjoyed apprentices, and I th- think over the last 60 years, we may be up into the 50s or 60s of, of apprentices that we've taken on. Wow. Uh, we always, my father always used to take one on every three years, and since I've been involved in the business in the last, say, 15 years, we generally have taken on a bit, two apprentices a year just because of the, of the volume of work. Is that also because of what's happening with housing in New Zealand at the moment, the, the demand? Yeah, there certainly is a bigger demand uh, for, for building. And time frames have changed. Whereas we always used to be 18 months to two years booked up. Uh, and, and people would wait 18 months or two years for us to build, build them a house or do a renovation. For you to start or for you to go from start to finish? Uh, for, for us, to, they would wait until we were ready to start. Whereas those days have gone now, and really, if you can't get there within six months, you know, people, we've, we've become impatient. Yeah, yeah, in real time. People want it done yesterday. Mm. So that's probably why we've grown our staff numbers, uh, so that we can do more projects. How many have you got on the go at the moment? Uh, Staff-wise, I think we've got 18 guys on the go at the moment. In projects, that we, we could have 15 projects on the go. Commercial as well? Uh, no, a little bit of light commercial we do. We're fortunate that we just three weeks ago won the uh, Commercial Projects Award for New Zealand Best Project under $2 million. So that was a... A feather in our cap, and it's not, we don't do a lot of commercial. No, but it was a fit out in the building in Invercargill, so. And we generally enter the house of the year every year. And mainly that would be our main form of advertising. Uh, and the reason why I do it is, is to keep the standard up with my staff. So it's a bit of a competition between projects to make sure that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they don't miss anything and they, they keep their quality of workmanship up all the way through the project, which which for me is, is fantastic because 
that's what we're all about is is high quality. Yeah, and if and, you can get uh, your staff to, to take that on board, and buy into it. yeah. Yep, and they are proud. Like you see, you know, you walk around sometimes and you might see a Master Builder sticker or a BJ Carter sticker on their tools or in their toolbox, you know, so they, they do have pride in, in what they do and who they work for, and which is lovely, which is, which is brilliant. That's, that's what you want, yeah. With well, something in a company that's been operating for six decades that goes into that BJ Carter brand, it's meaningful to others and being part of it means that you're good enough to be part of what that brand and logo represents. Yes, yeah, I, yeah, I, I would agree with it. Like, it's not as if we're fly-by-nighters, we just haven't got a, a ute and a, and a dog on the back and a handful of tools and off we're going. <laughs> uh, yeah, so look, I'm very proud of, I suppose, what my father accomplished over the years and uh, what I've, I've accomplished with, a, with a, a team around me now, which, uh, as you know, you're only good as your, as your worst man. So, uh, and you're only as good as your last job, so. And there seems to be a lot of jobs going on in Invercargill at the moment from uh, last time I was here, the centre of Invercargill um, looked like it needed some work and it's getting that, that work. There's a lot of commercial building. Oh, look, it's absolutely fantastic. Look, I came back from overseas 30 years ago with my wife and um, came back to Invercargill and really it was looking depressing. And my wife was from overseas and she thought she was coming to a Pacific island, which she was, <laughs> but I was just a little bit greyer down here in South. But look... We're, we're so lucky in Southland to, to have pe people that are actually passionate and actually care about Southland. You know, we've got the Richardson Group down here that are, uh, I suppose, the core business. Most people know them through Allied Concrete New Zealand. Well, you know, they've put up a quarter of the money for the CBD. You know, so they could have invested their money in Auckland or anywhere else around the world and probably got a higher return than they will out of Invercargill. You know, and that makes you really proud to be a Southlander when people start doing that. Uh, so I think, and the council have got in behind it, it desperately needed doing up. They tried to do it about 20 years ago, and the council sort of held them up from doing a new moor. It was some different people involved in it. Uh, but I think the beauty about Southland is like, we've still got affordable housing down here, We've got a lot of expats coming back down here. We've got a lot of staff coming down here. Like over COVID, I employed another three staff. And uh, so I got a, a, a guy out of Auckland, a guy out of Queenstown or Alexandra, and a guy out of Dunedin. What does it, what would it cost to, to move? Um, let's say you can, you, you got a, a, a trades job here in Invercargill. What does it then cost for your, your housing to, to get set up? Yeah, well, you, you can rent a house in Invercargill for, you know, in a good area from, say, $350 to $500 a week. Your wages aren't a lot different to up north. Uh, there's a bit of a flood of kids coming back from Queenstown. Because unfortunately, Queenstown's probably the dearest place in New Zealand to work, and the, probably the lowest wages in New Zealand. And the tourism's gone. And the tourism's there. sort of gone, but Queenstown is still booming. Don't worry, there's just as much construction going on in Queenstown now as there was uh, a few years ago. 
But no, we're really lucky in South in that uh, everybody has, has got behind the council and the Richardson group and in uh, that, and, uh, and it's, they're into it now, which is creating a lot of jobs. And I just heard a, another uh, large construction company in New Zealand that used to be down here when I was an apprentice are moving back to Invercargill this month to to do, I think it's the the HWR tower in Invercargill. Uh, and also I've got a new hotel being built by the ILT. So uh, that's exciting. Uh, so, so we've got, as you we we've got a licensing trust in Invercargill. Yes. And we've got a community trust as well. So we're very fortunate, but between those two groups, I think they pour in about don't quote me, but in excess of 200, oh sorry, 20 million a, a year, they they pump into local schools, local sports groups. So we're very fortunate that we've got its pros and its cons, but for school kids and and that is fantastic. Cause every school kid gets to go to, to Deep Cove yeah. uh, over in, in Fiordland and uh, it's subsidised by different groups and that. But no, Southland's really looking good and strong. And yeah, there's a, a lot of money in Southland. Good farming country. Good, strong farming country. And, uh, it, and I suppose in Southland, ne never judge a book by its cover. Very true. Because, uh, you know, a, a guy might turn up in an old car, but he might have a $20 million farm sitting out the back. That, uh, you know, so, that's, that's one thing uh, with living in, in, the beauty about living in Southland is everybody still knows each other. If you do a bad job, everybody finds out about it. And people still genuinely care about each other. And it is still a community where people know what's going on. And, and you know, people like to help each other. We're not in that big rat race that sometimes, not sometimes, you do get in cities. Yep. And don't worry, I've lived in cities and lived and had neighbours too that have lived beside for two years and never ever knew. Whereas we probably don't get that down here. But no, it's lovely to see a lot of young families moving into Southland. Yeah, and I would say the jobs I look I would say one in four jobs I'm looking at at the moment, people are moving back down to Southland. With family connections With family already. Connections. Yeah. Yes, they're coming back from Europe, from other parts of New Zealand. Um, my my wife's got a business in town, she's got a day spa, and she employs about 16 girls. Well, she's got a girl coming down this week from Auckland. She just had another hairdresser come down from Auckland. Now, her mum and dad came down here 18 months ago because they could afford a house and to do up a house. Her brother came down here because he couldn't afford a house in Auckland, so he's bought a house. Now, they've moved down from Auckland, they've bought a house. You know, so there's three families that mm. have just moved down here with, you know, mum and dad that are not quite a retirement age. Uh, the other two have got young kids going to local schools. Yes, it's a, so it's a win-win for everybody. It's, uh, it's a place that I'm connected to through my family heritage. They, right, um, yes. My family came out here and settled in Southland as farmers. Yes. Uh, and what you were saying there around everyone knows everyone, it's yeah. that that last name is your reputation. Exactly. And yes. you want to protect that, not just for yourself and yeah. not just for your parents, 
but for your next generation too. Yes, well, we're sitting in Moana at the moment, which was the first inland settlement in Southland, just never really took off. And uh, my kids were sixth generation going to the local school, which you may hear the kids in the background. So, yeah, so we, we've got a, a, a large connection with Southland. And right across the road there was where my great-great-grandfather uh, had his first farm. So he came out from Scotland, or no, sorry, he was from England, Brighton, and he walked from Dunedin down to Invercargill, or Southland, found that plot of land, and he had enough to buy it, but not enough for a stagecoach back to Dunedin to register. So he walked back to Dunedin and registered the property, and then uh, came back down here. Uh, That's our, So our forefathers must have known each other, because my fifth generation ago, uh, the Galt family yes. uh, was in Dunedin. Uh, 1856, yeah. after the gold rush in retail, yeah. came down to Matalda here, and there was swamp lands, and yes. they turned that into farmland over a couple of decades. Yeah, well, my ancestors actually did go to Matera. There was uh, uh, there was five brothers in the on my father's side, on the Carter side, that were blacksmiths. So there's one was blacksmith in, in Matera, one here in Moanua. One at Wright's Bush and one at Wallacetown, and the other one was a builder. Well, the, there's a lodge in Matauda still that the Galt family built. It's a brick right. lodge that's yeah. still there. Well, Matauda would have to be one of the nicest places in Southland. If, if you can, if the freezing works wasn't in, in Matauda, it, it would have to be the premium spot to have built a city in Invercargill. Like I've been all around the world traveling and the closest thing I can I can recall to Matera would be in the south of France. And I can remember an old fella walking along the street with his ducks and a stick and put them <laughs> into the water. And, and the waterfalls in Matera are very similar. So if you ever, when you're going through Matera, I always take people on a bit of a tour, but you might want this on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I, I take them into Matera and I go left at the refuge uh, rubbish dump there and down and there's the mongrel mob. And uh, at the mongrel mob I've got a parapole with the road knight's car put on top as a trophy. <laughs> I drive around there quietly. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Then I go over the bridge and then I stop on the bridge and look at the waterfalls. And on a good day you can see the salmon jumping up the waterfalls. And then you just go around the corner, about 100 metres, just before where all that dross is and that big shed that's luckily getting moved in the next few months. And you can get out there and walk, and you look up at those waterfalls, and they're just absolutely magnificent. And that's why you can't, you can't jet boat up the Matara River, because it's just full of waterfalls, uh, because of the limestone. Huh. Yeah, and then right opposite there in Matara was a foundry that, that employed over 300 men. Back in the prime, there's there's a wee museum in Maternal, and you want to go there. It's it, it's well worth it. It's only about ten square meters, but it shows you. It's got videos of the slaughtermen when they actually mm -hmm. freezing workers actually cut the throat and did the whole shooting box. Then a bit on the foundry and that, but yeah. So there you go, Matera. And I. I Never know where these interviews are going to go, and we've gone completely off topic in a good way. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate you being uh, open to 
to go on wherever these chats um, end up. We started with insulation. We ended up with the, um, the, the history of our families in, in Invercargill and Southland. Um, before we wrap up, James, is there any other area or anything else that I, I haven't asked or, or should have? No, I, I think we've probably covered most things at, 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 at the moment. But no, look, I'm just, hey, very proud to be a New Zealander, a Southlander, and proud to be involved in uh, using some of your local resources uh, for insulation. And, uh, and it's a feel good for me, and I think it's a feel good for the consumer as well. And if someone wants to get Envirowool for their home, but it's in Wellington or Auckland, how would they go about doing that? Uh, that's a little bit hard. <laughs> We're only supplying Otago and Southland, but we can we can send it up, and, and you can can install it yourself by loosely filling it out. But but at this stage, if anybody's interested in, in taking on a business up that way, we're more than keen to, keen to help them. A potential licensing franchise agreement. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much for your time today, James. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks very much. Well, good on you. Cheers. Cheers. That's it for another episode of A Kiwi Original. Remember to subscribe on the podcast or on YouTube to receive the next episode. If you got value from this episode, please share it with someone you think could benefit. See you next time. One of the big things we had right from the start that was, we're going to push it as New Zealand made. New Zealand made carries a lot of weight outside New Zealand. People don't realise that. Well, you're by New Zealand and uh, we were really motivated by your professionalism at the outset when we first contacted you and that gave us the confidence to reach out to the rest of the New Zealand community to support this. We'll get two, three, four, five inquiries every day from people. And, and, and their only question is, are your products made in New Zealand? You know, they, they don't want to know anything else. We knew there was demand in the market for uh, a New Zealand-made product, firstly, a natural New Zealand-made product. We have got New Zealand-made. That was the first thing I signed up to. I was really proud of that. And um, you were very welcoming, so thank you, Ryan. I think it's very, very important to sell in New Zealand as a New Zealand-made product. Originally, we were having to import components from overseas. It wasn't until we shifted to our carbon fiber model that we were able to say that the product was made in New Zealand. And that was a huge, it was sort of a big goal for me. I wanted to have complete control over the manufacturing of it. Definitely it's something that we've been belonged to right from the beginning and it's just put trust, especially New Zealanders, into our products. We've noticed recently people have become so much more discerning about they will upfront and say to you, is it really made here? And not have to rely on other countries and important components, especially in times like these, I'd I'd be I'd have no stock. Being able to front up to that and show your logo and say, well, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand that you have to have a license to show that logo. We have also New Zealand made on some of the other brands selling over overseas. And it's something that people are looking for. The little triangle has been...
a part of our brand for a long time. Is that a, an investment or is it a cost? You know, can we can we spend it given what's going on? I know it's actually good value for us. Yeah, we we are a Kiwi company. We are proudly Kiwi. And it instantly had a, a fruitful conversation without any dancing around or holding back or everything came out and that was that was part of the how why it was so invaluable and so the best way to do that is to, to join the finance and May campaign right so I, as you will see on any of my social media stuff like yeah i put the buy new zealand made logo i'm classed on everything i can pass it on but just being able to prove to people that it is new zealand made and that we've got a story that's great you know pretty proud to be able to do that